This week on the Federalist Radio Hour, when the dust settled back in 2020, it became clear that Hispanics were shifting towards the Republican Party in ways that were not marginal and in ways that were wildly underappreciated by the legacy news media. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, and marriage. Folks, these subjects are a big part of political dialogue today, and we talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. Right now, my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David Azarad as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So what are you waiting for? The midterm elections are right around the corner, and you need to understand the founders' thoughts about the pressing issues of their and our time. Visit DanaForHillsdale.com to watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation, and sign up for this new completely free online course. That's DanaForHillsdale.com. DanaForHillsdale.com. Because we really haven't a ch- haven't had a chance to to do that. I was texting with a, a source in Florida, political source, uh, who pointed out to me that this will be the first time since Reconstruction that Florida won't have any Democrats in statewide office. Mm-hmm. Period. So, it, it, and DeSantis's victory, the, the Miami Dade. What a weird soundbite. These people are Fruit Loops. That was CNN yesterday. Good heavens. Good heavens, just nuts. So, welcome to the show. It is post-election Wednesday. And, you have to excuse us, we're dealing with major allergies and on four hours of sleep. Because nobody went to bed last night. Let's be real, nobody went to bed. So, let me tell you how we're going to have today set up. Because it's, uh, it's, I have to tell, I'm going to be disagreeing with a lot of people. I'm going to be agreeing with some people. Uh, We're going to have some uncomfortable conversations because we must. We absolutely have to. And we're going to focus on the bright side, the problems that we got to fix. And I want I want to note as well, um, we don't have a lot of the numbers in yet for. Oh, gosh, Nevada, uh, Colorado, um, obviously, Arizona and as a result, the dust hasn't settled. So there are, there's only so far we can go with the conversation in terms of what needs to be done and looking at, you know, voter sentiment, et cetera, et cetera. So just kind of keep that in mind, if you will, um, because we're, you know, as we get stuff in and whatever, whatever we get anything in, you know, we will, we'll share that with you as we get it. And so that's the, that's how we're going to approach today. Now, here's the other thing I want to, I also want to, set up you guys have known me for quite a long time especially those of you who have listened to this show for any period of time and there's one thing that you can always count on with me i've known you guys longer than i've known these politicians okay i have known you guys for quite some time i don't have any loyalty to the people running for office the question should be what loyalty they have for us. So when I 
discuss these issues because some of this is going to be hard today. When I discuss these issues, I want you to keep that in mind because I don't do it for their benefit. I really don't do it for, I mean, I'm here to talk with you. And that's, and I have the unique distinction of not being a New York based or a DC based or anywhere but Dallas, Texas based commentary, member of the commentariat. And unlike everybody else on air, I got my start in the streets in activism. So I've been there, I know this, and that's how I just want to present it in that fashion. So if you're tuning in, you all know me for a long time. You guys know I have, I am not beholden to any politician or any party. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not doing this for like kickbacks on the side. So keep that in mind when we go over some of this stuff. All right, so where do we stand? I think that's the big thing today. Uh, where do we stand? Well, we don't know who the hell controls the House and we don't know who the hell controls the Senate. That's where we stand. Isn't that ridiculous? Here in 2022 in the U.S. of A., we have no idea what's going on. But there are some things that we can tell. Uh, I, there some, I, for, let me get touch this big thing first. One of the things that we've heard for a really long time is that Texas is going to turn blue. One of the things that we saw is that Texas is far from turning blue. Tarrant County, all politics are local. The crown jewel of conservatism in Texas stayed red. Stayed red. That's huge. Bader O'Rourke did not prevail here. This was a district in which he actually beat, in terms of getting votes, a county in which he actually beat Ted Cruz in last election. Oh, Beto O'Rourke is gone. He's done. He's done. He's done spending everybody's money. He should be running for He failed in his bid to unseat Greg Abbott. So Texas is far from turning blue. I want to lay that on the, on, on the line because that's important for the uh, long-term strategy. In Pennsylvania, Shapiro, the Democrat, de- defeated Mastriano. That's kind of huge because I think that had some down-ticket consequences. Uh, a couple of things. There was not the the turnout needed in order to help propel Oz to victory. That did not happen. And in Pennsylvania, Oz was defeated by a potato. I Here's the thing. Candidate quality matters when the quality of the other candidate also matters. So I got in a fight with a friend, not a fight, a heated debate a little bit ago. With a friend of mine who was like, Dana, candidate quality matters. Yes and no. They did not like my answer. It does until it doesn't. Guys, this is not, I reject the Yoda-isms of, well, black and white is the way of the Sith. I I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. That's just all there is to it. The quality of the candidate matters if the other candidate has quality. But I do not want to hear anything about candidate quality from anybody on the left. So in Pennsylvania... I'm just going to run down my list, and we're going to have the big Florida talk. In Pennsylvania, uh, lack of turnout overtook Oz. I'm looking at some of the... I was looking at numbers all night for you. uh, And looking at some of this, in Pennsylvania, uh, a lot of of evangelicals actually stayed home. uh, That said, uh, Oz was 70... Let's see. uh, Rural white evangelicals actually went for Fetterman. I looked at a couple of different... uh, uh, places on this and it's interesting because cnn new york times and of course a couple of other people all agreed with us so that was kind of interesting a little interesting thing there uh in addition to this 
there was and looking at some of these other numbers because I know McCormick was the guy who was who because Fetterman had led Oz but trailed McCormick, and then Oz beat McCormick by point one point in the GOP primary. That's zero point one points. Um, and it, Trump's endorsement of Oz was absolutely absolutely the thing that put him over the top in the primary. Uh, but uh, Fetterman had never ever actually was never successful in polling against McCormick. So I wanted to put that out on the table because we're going to put we're going to pick it back up here in a little bit. Uh, so that's and looking at some of the stuff with Pennsylvania, and I'm I'm throwing all this stuff at you, and then we're going to explain what it means. Where in addition to where we stand, what it means, and what we got to do going forward. Um, in Virginia and in Florida, Democrats were struggling a little bit with turnout, which was kind of interesting in Virginia. Remember the bellwethers that I was telling you about? It looked really good in the beginning. Uh, the, the, you had the 2nd Congressional District. Uh, you had uh, Spanberger in the 7th Congressional District. And then you had Wexton in the 10th Congressional District. Uh, those, and, and of course, uh, the, the Virginia seats, particularly Spanberger, was called relatively early. I want to say that was called at like 8.30 last night, Central Time. Uh, so that those were some of the as soon as I saw those numbers coming in, I knew this was going to be a very different night from what we saw. Uh, and Guam actually had enough of everybody's crap and went red. Throw, it did. It absolutely did. And, and which is amazing. Uh, this Guam elected Republican James Moylan as its next delegate to the United States Congress. That's pretty interesting. I mean, it's actually a flip. That's a flip. Uh, there were a number of flips, and we're going to get into all of that as well. Uh, in Nevada, some of the latest stuff that I've seen out of Nevada right now, and this came out uh, just this morning, election officials in Nevada say that they've been flooded by thousands of mail-in ballots, and it may take several days to count the votes and upload results, which I think is absolute garbage. Uh, so that's one of the latest, and I do have a little bit of concern there because it comes down to Laxalt and Walker. I want to say, and I wrote about this last night because it wasn't a red wave. There wasn't a wave on any side, in fact. And I also want to say this, and this is the first thing that's going to tick people off. Um, tell me, the, remember how I w- the polls, a lot of these races that we were looking at, the red wave was coming from uh, the measure of people's dissatisfaction with the administration. When you looked at polling in Nevada, in Georgia, when you looked at it in Arizona, when you looked at it in uh, Georgia, the polling was always what? Relatively close, was it not? Every single time I presented a poll to you, I was always careful to add, this is all within the margin of error. This absolutely could go either way. And so those were actually accurate. So I know a lot of people are blasting some of the polling, but I got to be honest with you, from what I'm seeing in returns and performance from particularly those battle states, uh, that was actually accurate with what the average was with the polling. Uh, what was different was the measure of dissatisfaction, favorability and unfavorability, and a number of other things uh, at, that relates to some of the top issues. And we're going to discuss that. But there was like one thing that I wanted to throw out. Uh, in L.A., uh, we have Utah Mike Lee held his seat. Uh, in Arizona, it looks like Cary Lake. There's still some outstanding returns from relatively deep red areas. So I think Cary Lake may maintain that lead there. Uh, and I also warned of this last week. Uh, one of the other things to note on this uh, is that this, there, was a, there were a lot of split tickets. Do you remember the story that I discussed from Dasha Burns? This was on November 2nd. And she went and she was interviewing people for NBC. And she's, I think, kind of a conservative-leaning reporter, but it shouldn't even matter. She just actually did her job right when she was questioning Fetterman. Uh, but she was actually breaking down split-ticket voting and how a number of voters 
traditionally one party voters actually were leaning away from voting just single party and they were varying up their ticket. And I said at the time that this is a distinction that many in media are missing as they examine voter behavior. And what did we see last night? There was a lot of split ticket voting. And that is incredibly important going forward, especially in determining how the Republican Party uh, or how they're going to deal with messaging. Uh, a couple of other things here. Uh, the One of the other big victories, the DCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, this was uh, the Maloney, uh, the Mahoney versus Lawler race up in New York. Uh, we did flip that seat, so that was pretty good. Uh, and uh, there was, there's a, there, I mean, there was, there was a lot of really good, uh, Anna Paulina Luna, for instance, in Florida, she's going to be on later. She flipped that seat. That was an cr- incredibly close race. She was on discussing a lot of the ad buys and how Democrats were trying to shut her out of even being able to, you know, purchase ads. You had J.D. Vance, who, who beat Tim Ryan in the Ohio Senate race. I actually thought J.D. Vance underperformed in this race, considering the amount of money that was spent, the people that had, the, the, that were in there campaigning for him. Uh, but he ended up winning that race. He walked away with 53% of the vote. And this was, I think they're still waiting to verify that. That's coming from uh, the Inquirer up there in Cincinnati. Uh, so that was, and that was a bright spot for Donald Trump last night. I think that was one of the only bright spots for Donald Trump last night. Uh, but that was, that was, we needed, that was the Senate seat that we had to win. And Georgia, I had figured that this was going to go towards a runoff, and I am correct. This is going to go towards a runoff that's going to be held on December 6th because neither of the candidates got, it's like, what, 0.8 away. Uh, they, they never got that far enough from each other in order for one of them to be able to claim victory decisively. This is going to be, because it, it comes down to Nevada and Georgia, and depending on how well and, and, and what some of these other, uh, they're still counting votes in Nevada, depending on what's counted, if Laxalt ends up walking away with that, and that was a really tough race for the Democrat incumbent. They spent a lot of money, a lot of money. Laxalt was very careful and very streamlined and stuck to the issues, which I think was important for him to do because he attracted a lot of independents and a lot of Hispanic voters by doing that. Um, but it's all going to come down. A lot of it's going to come down to turnout. And as you know, there was like a snowstorm brewing up in Nevada. So we're going to see how that all plays out. Uh, but in Georgia, that's going to go to a runoff. Brian Kemp won the rematch against Stacey Abrams again. There's a lesson to be learned in that race. And we're going to discuss that. Uh, also, uh, Beth Van Dyne won in Texas's 13th congressional district. Why this district was important is because that was an absolute fistfight for her the first time she she ran. She won by one point. She walked away with a double-digit win last night. That's incredibly important because that shows a lot of Republican gains in a Dallas suburb that has been uh, blue for a little while. So that was that was some that was some good uh, good uh, building up on past success there. So this is what we're, we still have to, we're, we're figuring out some of these other races, but this is what we're going to get into. Let me set the table for you. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what the victories mean last night and how Florida has rewritten the political playbook. Knives were out early following the performances of Democrats last night. The Trump-DeSantis fight. Uh, we have to have this conversation. It's going to be uncomfortable, and I'm going to lay some bare-knuckle facts out for you. And one of the things to realize is that the blue wall held last night, which pretty much all but guarantees that Biden's going to run again in 2024. So these are a mil- I got a million things. We're going to dump some data, explain it, and walk you through everything and get you set up so you know what's going on when all the rest of these returns come on in. So this is all important stuff for you to know. Did you know the tart cherries are an important superfood? 
When it comes to promoting metabolic health, they are a powerhouse. But if you're not looking to chug two cups of tart cherry juice a day, you need to know about new tart cherry gummies. Tart cherry gummies from the makers of Super Beats Art Chews are an easy way to reduce inflammation from exercise, and they support immune health. Just two tart cherry gummies are the antioxidant equivalent of 16 ounces of tart cherry juice or 100 cherries. They're vegan, non-GMO, they have zero sugar, and are simply delicious. Tart cherry gummies come with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Try them risk-free for 90 days and see how you feel. If you don't love them, send them back, no questions asked. Right now, you can get up to 35% off tart cherry gummies plus free shipping at buytartcherry.com Dana. This is their best offer available anywhere. That's buytartcherry.com Dana for up to 35% off tart cherry gummies. Buytartcherry.com Dana. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick 5, brought to you by Caltech. All right, so we have a couple of other headlines here that are non-midterm related, but you're going to want to know about this one right here. I guarantee to you. So here's the headline. Are hand sanitizers a cancer risk? So thousands, oh, I know, thousands of gels and sprays, hand sanitizers, have been recalled since last year because they may contain a deadly chemical. And they could actually, it's called benzene. It's a carcinogen at the top of the danger list. And they could actually, I mean, it's been linked to cancer and other disorders and things like that. They said thousands of them made in China, South Korea, and even the United States were recalled. Uh, And they said two dozen some odd hand sanitizer brands. Now, remember, this was pretty much like a must-have accessory after, during, and after lockdown. So that's something that you might want to check out. So you remember when Ozzy Osbourne said that he was going to leave the United States because he was tired of people getting shot and killed? Okay, so now he says, never mind. Never mind about that. Uh, He's changed his mind. He said he and his wife decided to, at first they were going to uproot their lives, go back to UK. But then he told the Guardian that, uh, you know, maybe, or not Guardian, the consequence. He said, uh, he's had a change of heart. He said, quote, to be honest with you, if I had my way, I'd stay in America. I'm American now, to be honest with you. I don't want to go back. Burp that. Direct quote. So, there you go. I don't care. He wants to come back. He can come back. I mean, he can be wrong on guns. I'll forgive him because of his amazing music catalog. So, that's how that that works. Uh, Falling U.S. Treasury demand has now become a new concern. Media coverage of inflationary effects primarily focuses on the impact of rising price levels. But now, the Federal Reserve... We're seeing a lot. We're seeing, I mean, this is going to be one thing we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come following demand with U.S. Treasury. So we have a million things to hit, guys. More recapping of last night, the postmortem. Stick with us. Caltech Innovation is back to back. You've heard me talk about Caltech's P50 pistol. Now here comes the new 9mm P15 carry pistol. Quality engineered, the 9mm P15 carry pistol is the lightest, thinnest of its kind in Caltech's first striker fire handgun. And as another first, the P15s feature a totally unique patent pending 15 round extended magazine. Now other features include ambidextrous grip, safety, reversible mag release, and the hybrid fiber optic night sights with full adjustable rear. That all comes standard. It's from Keltec, inventors of subcompact polymer and now metal handguns. The P15's gator grip texture on the polymer version increases stability and makes for easy, accurate handling, while the all-metal version offers comfortable but positive traction and a really beautiful wood grip panel. The P15 is the dependable firepower you need to secure 
secure your world. See the new 9mm P15 first up close and personal at keltechweapons.com. That's K E L T E C weapons.com. Listen to the Dana Show live on the Odyssey app, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We have the worst inflation in four decades, the worst collapse in real wages in 40 years, the worst crime wave since the 1990s, the worst border crisis in U.S. history. We have Joe Biden, who is the least popular president since Harry Truman, since presidential polling happened, and there wasn't a red wave. That is a searing indictment of the Republican Party. That is a searing indictment of the message that we have been sending to the voters. They looked at all of that and said and looked at the Republican alternative and said, no, thanks. That Mm. is that is a the Republican Party needs to do a really deep introspection look in the mirror right now, because this is this is an absolute disaster. That is my friend Mark Thiessen. I've known him for a long time and uh, he's not wrong. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lashier with you. And as I said at the top of the hour, so this is the unfun part, because you always get kicked on, you know, because I think people, they want to be made easy in what they believe, even if it's not entirely based on the reality of the situation. And as I said to you all, I've known you all longer than I've known these politicians. So I have zero loyalty towards these politicians. Uh, I, you guys know how I roll, and I'm going to be honest with you and tell you exactly what I see, look at the numbers, because that's my job, and I also I love doing it, and I'm just going to lay it out. And sometimes it's not going to be what you want to hear, and I'm not doing it to be mean or malicious or because I have a dog in one fight or the other. I'm just, I, I think that it is incredibly important to understand if we want to have future victory. And that is the one thing that you can always, you can always predict with me. I want to win. How do we do that? We have to figure out where the weak spots are and we can't be running the same playbook. We're bringing the same playbook, playbook this election we did in 2020. That was our first mistake. You can't do that. Secondly, we ignored a lot of the split ticket stuff. We can't do that. Uh, and what Tyson says here is correct. It is a searing indictment. Now, I'm going to say this because I see a lot of people pointing fingers and we're going to get into this next hour. A lot of people are pointing fingers and they're getting mad and they're getting sassy. Two things that are a reality. You can't crap on MAGA and MAGA can't crap on the traditional, more old school Republicans. Neither of you can do it because neither of you can win. I know. I'm not saying it to be mean. I'm just looking at the numbers. You tell me where on this map that's wrong. (laughs) I'm just saying. This is the stuff we got to talk about. Fam, we got to talk about this stuff. And don't be, and I don't want you to be misled by these politicians who are out there trying to save their skins or these operatives who are out there trying to save their next contracts. Can you imagine having to be holding to that? Good grief. All right, so let's look at some of this stuff. So he's correct. And I, I was noting that there are, there, I think the run in the same playbook that we did in 2020 is supremely damaging now here's one race i've been watching i know lauren bobert i've known her for a while i've done i've done a campaign event with her and i'm looking at her down in down in across in colorado district three congressional district three 
she's running a guy uh, running against a guy named adam frisch and he's got his own problems like he had some marital issues and there was all kinds of he's super wealthy independently wealthy so he's able to finance a lot he was out spending her quite a bit and she is trailing in this and it is some people are shocked I was looking at some of these, looking at some of the data here. And one of the things that I'm, I think is important to kind of note is that it's, I don't, it's not fraud in her race. It's not anything like that. She's having trouble performing. There is not a huge machine there that is trying to unseat her in an unscrupulous fashion. I mean, I'm just looking at some of these previous so this is Washington I have Washington Post New York Times and I also have some Colorado media and it's because people are not voting for her I don't like saying this because I, I mean she's very sweet I don't like saying this I know her these are I know these people I know these these candidates even though you know I, I have a healthy suspicion of all candidates you know I, when you know them they're people they're not just you know politicians and I also know a lot of the people that are in a lot of these campaigns across this country that are working the campaigns that some of them are some of them are operative, some of them aren't, some of them are friends. And it's hard to be it's hard to be honest, but you got to. It's hard. You don't want to hurt their feelings. But you know what? I mean, I would rather not lose the country than to hurt somebody's feelings. People just she's not performing. Uh, and I think that there were some independent candidates that were picking some stuff away. But there's a weird pattern. Um, and I think we see this really easily in Georgia, too. Stacey, Ab- Stacey Abrams, did you know she spent over $100 million on this race? Dang. Right? Money. Second time. She's the Georgia, she's Georgia's beta. Whew. That's pretty unbelievable. And Kemp ended up walking away with that race. Again. She didn't even, it, the turnout was, and the turnout was such that even if she had tried to cheat, it would have suffocated that cheating out. When you look at the, when you look at the numbers that are coming, and I, yes, I realize there's still stuff that's being done, but I'm just saying, looking at the base, base things. I think one of the things with this is that I was talking to Kane about this because he and I were having a conversation as to what, what this could possibly be. I think a lot of this is, People are not voting. People are voting ideologically, not politically. Number one, people are tired of tribalism. Number two, people want solutions. Number three. And I think in the races where it may seem like the candidates were just Biden, Biden, Biden and repeating like red meat platitudes. I think that those candidates performed less powerfully than the candidates who laid out clear, articulate solutions, visions and a plan of attack. That's just no, that's just an initial again, the dust is still settling. It's hard to be a prognosticator and it's really hard to do a postmortem when the patient's still twitching. So you know, I mean it's it's so this is just what I'm seeing initially. Now, I said last night when I sent the piece out, I thought this was a really smart remark from Trey Gowdy. And he was not saying this as a celebration of what of of this of what he said he was saying it as like you know this is a warning 
He had said, quote, I think we're in a blue no matter who, red till I'm dead stage. And I think he's right. There was no red wave and there was no blue wave. And the polls, when you look at them, when you look at Arizona, when you look at Nevada, there were no polls that were showing a runaway victory for these Senate candidates. You always knew, y'all knew going into this, it was going to be a fight. I think it is a combination of, we were also looking at a measure of likely voter sentiment. And this is another reason why I'm like likely voter and registered voter. Those are two different, very two different weights and surveys. We were looking at, you know, voter sentiment. And also I think, is, is there a question? And I had a friend ask me this. She was following this last night. She said, has, has inflation not hit everybody's house the way it's hit, my, it's hit mine? I actually had not thought about that. That was a very good question. Because I got to be honest, in some of these states where you have some of these candidates like Bober, people were voting Democrat. And when you look at the way they voted, if you're going to vote Democrat, you're going to and you're going to cheat, you're going to cheat all the way. They did, that's not what happened. And some of the races that were won, um, it wasn't by a big enough, you know, it wasn't by a massive margin. And then there were other races. It just doesn't make the math. And I'm looking at some of these races. It doesn't make sense. Now, the Senate's deadlocked as we wait for Laxalt and Walker. And so the the December 6th is when that's going to be that'll be the runoff and I saw too this I'm going to pull this pull up this is a 538 survey and I I touched on it but I didn't uh, we didn't spend a lot of time on it on air I did send it out to you in your prep because they had said polling errors Republicans are just a normal polling error away from a landslide and I don't necessarily think it was a polling error I just think also that, you know, as I told you, pollsters don't know what the hell's going on, really. I mean, it's kind of the honor system, right, to measure. But I do think that they were accurate, for the most part, in those Senate races. I mean, can you point to me where there was one that said it was going to be a runaway? It didn't say this with any of the congressional districts in Virginia. It didn't say it was going to be run- a runaway with Zeldin against Hochul. We have to be very careful that we don't look so insular insular that we project what we believe is happening, what we're seeing happening in our neck of the woods onto every other district. Because clearly there were some Democrats that still thought Hochul was the answer. So I think messaging is a huge part of this. Now, I do think that the Republicans, we're going to talk about this coming up too. I do think Republicans are going to hold on to the House. I do not think Kevin McCarthy was given a mandate. And I think he should be made to fight like hell for Speaker. We're going to have a fun conversation. Don't tell Jim Jordan's people he's supposed to come on. (laughs) He may not want to come on now. He may try to ditch me. Um, But it's true. Am I wrong? That wasn't a mandate. That was not a mandate. So uh, he, you, you got to fight. You got to earn it. You got to earn that biscuit. <laughs> so you got to risk it for the biscuit. And that's, he's got to be made to fight for that. So in looking at this, one of the big walk, one of the big bright spots, and let's talk about this for a moment, is Florida. Ron DeSantis. Now, I've double checked, and I believe I'm correct about this. 
that there has not been a Republican that has carried both Miami-Dade and Palm Beach since 86? Ron DeSantis, and no, not enough people moved to Florida for a historic 20-point shift. Stop with that narrative right now. That is a, no, 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 no. That is a leftist narrative. Hell no. We are not running with that. There were not enough people that moved in to, to have a 20-point swing like that. This was Ron DeSantis last night in his victory speech. Audio sound by 15 million. We have embraced freedom. We have maintained law and order. We have protected the rights of parents. We have respected our taxpayers. And we reject woke ideology. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. That, one of the things that DeSantis did successfully is he engaged the culture war. And he engaged it head on. He did not pull any punches. But he also governed clearly and with a purpose. And he got results. He showed uh, exemplary leadership in the way that Florida bounced back and is bouncing back, is recovering from the hurricane. Having bridges reopened and, you know, having even just being prepared. And he won. By a, a, it was a landslide, absolute landslide. And the, I think the bill, I was looking at this, what he carried, the Hispanic vote. Remember when I told you to look at Miami-Dade? Because that was a, that went for, what was it? Hillary by double digits, it went for Biden. DeSantis took it. This is a very interesting interesting development and i don't i think that desantis has really he's really proven himself and he shows that he's got coattails because he had such momentum you've it helped flip a seat we're going to talk to that newly elected member of congress uh representative elect anna paulina luna coming up flipped a seat that was a historic flip so that is the playbook going forward We're going to talk about that. And there was something similar in the way that he ran his race and Brian Kemp ran his race. So these are all lessons that we have to learn. Because I tell you right now, you're going to have uh, Democrats that are going to be doing a postmortem. And as I said, the blue wall held. We're going to talk about that and what that means for Democrats. Also, knives were out last night. I'll explain that. Coming up, you don't want to miss it. Dana Lash here for Arc Seeds. There's a growing sense of instability and uncertainty. Gas, housing, everyday items are way up. Uh, food prices have the nation reeling. The ability to grow your own healthy food is on almost everybody's mind. So this is why I want to tell you about Arc Seed Kits. You can visit Arc, A-R-K, ArcSeedKits.com and enter code Dana to receive 10% off. Now, Arc Seed Kits, it's a non-GMO seed company. It's family owned and they provide heirloom 
heirloom seeds for across the nation for over 13 years. They want to make sure every home in America has the ability to grow and harvest its own food. And these are the highest quality heirloom seeds. They arrive in a sustainable container offering long-term and short-term storage. And they also bring seed-saving knowledge and food preparedness to you in your community. You can get seeds for vegetables and herbs. They have 50,000 organically grown seeds in each kit. We're talking corn, watermelon, cucumbers, lettuce, beans, tomatoes, all kinds of stuff. Designed to grow new nutrient and calorie dense vegetables and fruits to sustain any home at any time. So, and they can be harvested and regrown year after year. You guys know how heirloom seeds work, right? Chaz Chop in Portland didn't. So visit Arc Seed Kits and enter Dana to get your 10% discount code and be on your way to food and economic security, helping you and your family and your community. It's a limited time offer. Visit arcseedkits.com, A-R-K, and order your seed kits and save 10% today. Red meat, black coffee, truth telling. The Dana Show. And you know what's missing from this one, two, three, four, five, top five issues? Democracy. Oh, yeah. It's not even in here. It's not to say that it's not an issue for people, but it doesn't even come close. Not an issue for people. Imagine that. Shocker, shocker. I mean, can you believe that democracy wasn't even a factor? I mean, we scared them so bad about it. They weren't even scared. Why? Welcome back to the show. Your lovable curmudgeon here to walk you through this. We got a big uh, hour two coming up with a major conversation. It's uncomfortable. It's got to happen. Now, we're still uh, have some caution because it's hard, as I said, to do a postmortem when the patient's still twitching. And uh, we're still waiting for some other info to come in. So, for instance, right now in Georgia, it's going to go to a runoff. Just came in. Just official announced. I knew it was going to ha- I figured that was going to be the result. Runoff's going to be on uh, December 6th. Now, here's what's crazy. I think the success of that runoff is going to depend on what happens in Nevada. Because are Republicans going to go all in for basically what would be going to be kind of the same either way almost you know what i mean uh, we gotta have uncomfortable conversations guys coming up we really do so this is what's on deck now remember as i said i've known you all longer than i know these politicians and one of the things that you can count on is that we do have to have this conversation it may not all be pleasant but it will be honest so midterms the blue wall held and the reality that we cannot ignore we're going to discuss this carefully next. Stay with us. Did you know the tart cherries are an important superfood? When it comes to promoting metabolic health, they are a powerhouse. But if you're not looking to chug two cups of tart cherry juice a day, you need to know about new tart cherry gummies. Tart cherry gummies from the makers of Super Beats Art Chews are an easy way to reduce inflammation from exercise and they support immune health. Just two tart cherry gummies are the antioxidant equivalent of 16 ounces of tart cherry juice or 100 cherries. They're vegan, non-GMO, they have zero sugar, and are simply delicious. Tart cherry gummies come with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Try them risk-free for 90 days and see how you feel. If you don't love them, send them back, no questions asked. Right now, you can get up to 35% off tart cherry gummies plus free shipping at buytartcherry.com Dana. This is the their best offer available anywhere. That's buytartcherry.com slash Dana for up to 35% off tart cherry gummies. Buytartcherry.com slash Dana. Hello, 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 hello. 
Hey. Hey, we're in a fight, are we not? We're in a fight. But hey, God is a good God, is he not? Yeah. So it is official Herschel Walker has forced incumbent Raphael Warnock into a December 6th runoff for U.S. Senate in Georgia. It is official as of this, the top of our second hour here, Wednesday, post-election. I am your lovable curmudgeon host, Dana Lash, and we're going to go over all this. I'm going to give you the latest, and we got some hard conversations. So here's where we are at as of now. All eyes are on the Senate. And we were going over, I got my Senate map up. The way it stands right now, we got 48 to 49. Still outstanding, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia. So this is where it's at. In Arizona, we got Kelly and Masters. And these are some, you know, we still got some, still got all this stuff coming in. Uh, Kelly and Masters. In Nevada, you got Laxalt and Cortez Masto. And then obviously in Georgia, which we just said, that's not going to be determined until December. So we got a little bit, you got, you got less than a month before that runoff. Less than a month. And key races. And I think the way that I've seen it so far, I think only there's like an estimated 66% so far counted in Arizona. Only and an estimated 77% counted in Nevada. Uh, in Nevada, it's uh, the way that I see it right now, it's 49.9 Laxalt over 47.2 Cortez Masto. And in Arizona, it's 51 to 46 Kelly over Masters. So that's the lay of the land. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. As I've said, everybody who's listened to me for any amount of time, especially around elections, I've known y'all longer than I've known any politician. And this is why I love to stay in Dallas and not have to go to D.C. or anywhere else because I can continue to be honest. <laughs> so here's here's what I think. I think it's going to be tough for Arizona. I I. I, would, I want to see Masters win because let's look at the map. Let's look at the map for a minute. Say that Masters takes Arizona. Well, that leaves us 48-50. Say that Laxalt takes Arizona. That puts us at 48-51. We've got to have that 51 for majority. But you want to be able to maneuver around mittens, you know? And some of these, you know, uh, you, you always want, I like bonuses, you know? I would like 52. That's the number I was thinking about, 52. You get to 52 if you're able to get Walker in Georgia. So, but if we do not have Arizona, that puts us at 48.50 without Georgia on December 6th. And I think that Georgia is going to hinge on Nevada. I know it sounds weird, and let me explain. So we got to figure out Nevada, right? So let's just, I'm leaving Arizona out of it for a minute. Let's just say that Arizona goes blue. Let's just say, that's 49.50 for Democrats over Repu- and Republicans. So if, La- if Laxalt prevails, and he's a couple of points ahead, RCP average, that's a, but when you look at the votes, he's, a, he's still he's a, couple, yeah, he's a couple of points ahead. It's about estimated 77% in. If Nevada goes red, that's 49.50, then that makes Georgia really attractive because that gives us 51 with a Walker win in Georgia. However... If Nevada goes blue, even with a Walker win, that's 50-50. With a Walker loss, it's 51-49. So the question is going to become, will people go all in to get the same result? 
if Nevada goes blue? I know it sounds like a weird question, but you got the money bags out there, and that's the stuff they look at. Now, I know what your answer is. I mean, it'd be the same as my answer, but it literally comes down to Laxalt. Comes down to Laxalt. I say it comes down to Laxalt over Masters because Laxalt has led more over Masters, and Laxalt is currently in the lead with the estimated vote count in. So that's why I say this, and I said it yesterday when Laxalt was on, it comes down to him. So we're going to watch for any, anything as it, any developments. All right, so the blue wall held. And I think that this means Biden's going to run again in 2024. Now, here is, we have some uncomfortable things to discuss. And last night was a disaster. It, I, I mean, it, I don't know why this wasn't easy for Republicans. And I think there are a lot of narratives and a lot of easy to say remarks that aren't necessarily rooted in fact. And just to, let's, like I said, there's going to be hard, but it's going to be honest. Not every, you're not going to like everything I'm going to say. I think the blue wall held Biden's going to run again in 2024. And I think they're going to bait Trump into running against him. Because Trump is the only candidate against who Biden is competitive. I looked at the unfavorability and unfavorability. I have averages for you. Uh, Trump's favorability rating is under Biden's, and that's why they want him. Biden's 54-43, unfavorable, favorable. Trump is 60-37, to unfavorable, favorable. And... I want to make I want to also really bold and underscore this point. This is not establishment versus Trump. Because neither side is capable of winning. You have to work together. That's the only way forward. You cannot ignore can't you can't ignore it. That's the reality of the situation. You also can't ignore this. Democrats spent tens of millions of dollars amplifying a number of candidates in nine states. They spent 19 million across eight states trying to amplify Republican candidates that they thought would be easy for them to beat. This is a reality that also must be acknowledged. Now, there's more. There's a lot of doubts for 2024. Now, I said the blue wall held and that Biden will likely run in 2024, but he had a lot of missteps. And it looks, it's going to be difficult for him to, I still think there's going to be a challenge. Now, as far as the right, one of the things that I noted yesterday, so here's the inside baseball. Trump is apparently mad uh, because in Colorado, Ron DeSantis endorsed uh, O'Day. And O'Day and Trump don't get along. And the rumor mill is that Trump has been really unhappy about this for a number of weeks his surrogates have been very unhappy about this, which is why there have been a lot of people out there taking pot shots that I've seen them on social media. Some of them are my friends that are operatives and I see them out there. I say, I mean, they're friends, you know, I see them out there and I'm like, mm, I know what you're doing. Uh, but it's, it is, it, he's been upset about it. And so last night he was on his, he was on truth social when we were still waiting for returns of other Senate races to come in. And he was saying, yes, O'Day lost, ha ha ha, you know, and he was kind of taking a hit at DeSantis for it. And gloating over O'Day's loss. And I'm like, I don't really think that we should be gloating over any Senate losses right now, considering it's literally going to come down to one state. That did not seem to be strategically a good move to me. Uh, and 
that's I mean, it, we, we can't do that. And then there was in New York, New York Post has this. Uh, he also went after Don Bolduc. Now, he endorsed Don Bolduc. He also went after Dr. Oz last night. So after they announced that Don Bolduc, who, who Trump endorsed for Senate, he, after he lost, then Trump went after him on Truth Social. And then after Oz lost, Trump went after him on Truth Social. We can't be doing this, guys. We cannot be doing this. This is ridiculous. We cannot do this. Now, here's the other aspect of it. Uh, there's a really good piece. My friend Mark Thiessen looked at the numbers. He looked at who's, where all the PACs were spending their money. He looked at where the Trump backpacks were spending their money, uh, where the Senate Leadership Fund, that's McConnell's fund, where they were spending their money, the RSC, the Republican Senatorial Committee. And he was looking and, and seeing where all of, who was spending what on what. Because one of the narratives, and I say this as someone, Mitch McConnell's never been on my show. I hate even that I have to pay this piper before I even say what I'm about to say. Uh, because you have people out there, if you refuse to join in on inaccurate claims about a candidate, then somehow you are betraying the candidate, the other candidate to whom those claims benefit. It's the dumbest, stupidest crap, and it makes me want the, makes me want the asteroid to come and hit this planet. So let's lay this out. Let's look at the hard numbers. So in this last election, and particularly these Senate races, and this is a very important point, uh, that a lot of people have made. Uh, so, for instance, like in Arizona and elsewhere, you have, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of money spent. I was telling you how much Stacey Abrams, is $100 million, I think it was, right? Yeah. Spent $100 million. So that's, that gives you kind of some insight into how much money has been is spent in these races. So the one of the Trump backpacks spent 16 million on his candidates. In some races, that's not even a third of the cost of the race. And I say this because a lot of people were blaming Mitch McConnell for not spending money and all this other stuff. McConnell spent a quarter of a billion dollars from the Senate Leadership Fund. It didn't matter if Trump backed the candidate or not. McConnell wanted the majority. I don't know where some of this narrative comes from. I get it that there's some things about McConnell to not like. But people also need to realize that if it wasn't for Mitch McConnell, Merrick Garland would be on the Supreme Court. And if it wasn't for Mitch McConnell, Trump's judicial judicial agenda, which was the second half of his first term, after he ended up losing Congress, he had to shift to a judicial agenda. We previewed all of that back when it happened. Uh, One in four federal appointees, I believe, is a Trump uh, appointed judge. That's because Mitch McConnell protected them and all of Trump's appointees and got them through. We have a, a conservative Supreme Court because of Mitch McConnell. Trump would not have accomplished his judicial agenda without Mitch McConnell. That has nothing to do with partisanship. That is simply stating the facts that are before us. And because we like facts and we believe in pronouns and we also understand how math works, we also acknowledge these things that have laid the land for what we're looking at now, whether it's Supreme Court or judicial appointees. So he had spent about a quarter of a billion dollars on these races. And 
that is, I, I think the McConnell stuff needs to, I, I think people need to understand what are, what are people criticizing? There, like I said, there are certain things to criticize with him, but I don't think that in absence of a boogeyman for someone to run against on the right, you need to create one out of Mitch McConnell. The argument that the Republican Party didn't lead into abortion enough is garbage. I'll say this. I do not want to see an infight within the GOP, although it's going to happen. I reject the stupid comparisons to Nat Geo. Someone had said it's like one lion circling the other line. This is so stupid. It's not Nat Geo. But we have to look at unfavorability rating. And you can't be out there gloating over Senate candidates that are losing when other returns are coming in. You got to be able to spend some of your war chest on some of these candidates that are getting, you know, outspent for ad buys. So these, I mean, this is the thing. These are the realities. And I think that the unfavorability of the previous president is playing into this. And the stuff that we saw last night with this gloating of the Senate and some of these other candidates is playing into this. It has got to stop. You can say this and acknowledge that he was great with taxes. You can say this and acknowledge that he accomplished a lot of stuff his first term. But you also have to realize, and leaders realize this, the lay of the land will change. Strategies change. And if you don't change with them, stuff like this happens. We have a lot more on the way. I'm not even close to being anywhere near done. If you want to know what the left's real plan is for your kids, just look at the reaction to the work Patriot Mobile did in multiple school districts in Texas. The left is losing their minds. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative mobile phone provider and a force for conservative values. This is because they take a portion of your bill and fund conservative causes and candidates who believe in the sanctity of life, freedom of speech, the Second Amendment, and they're winning. Patriot Mobile has affordable plans for you, your family, even your business. They offer the same nationwide coverage as the major carriers because they use multiple major networks. Plus, you're supporting conservative values with every call. Visit PatriotMobile.com slash Dana or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation using offer code Dana. Special discounts are also available for veterans and first responders. Join our movement, make the switch today and a difference tomorrow. PatriotMobile.com slash Dana. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Dana, 972-PATRIOT. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. So just to give you, uh, you know, a little peek into how crazy the red wave is in Florida. So it is now official that Republicans took the super majority in both the chambers of the state legislature in Florida. Oh, boy. I was telling Kane and Juan and Steve, I'm like, you know, living in Florida, I mean, I love Texas. But, you know, aside from the alligators and the McCain's, it sounds pretty good. Kane told me I couldn't say hurricane because I was gendering the, hur- the hurricane. The McCain. They a Kane? I don't know. We'll come back to it. Uh, 17% are worried about holiday spending and will likely cut back. Hmm. Many are stressed over gifts and even Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner. Can I be real? Like after last night, my Thanksgiving dinner, I'll just have a slice of turkey and a 40. <laughs> Let's just like put that out on the table, okay? Like we're... <laughs> Don't don't judge me. I'm on four and a half hours of sleep. Don't judge me. <laughs> um, we got more. Oh man, where are we gonna go? Fire breaks out at Chevron's oil refinery in California. 
Hmm, refinery. We need these. They need to be working. And apparently a fire did break out. Uh, they said it's a 269,000 barrel per day refinery. They are getting it figured out, but they didn't cite. The, there's no other further details. That's all I know at this particular point. And police were called after a dog was spotted carrying a human arm. That is not your toy. It was in Jackson, Mississippi. And later, police, according to WLBT, found the rest of the body without the arm and also missing a head near an abandoned home. Man, that's pretty... That's just nasty. I, don't, I mean, I have no words, but the dog... I don't want to get mad at the dog because they don't know. But still, walking around, trotting around with his arm. And uh, yeah, then that's how they ended up finding out that there was way more to it than that. So coming up, Anna Paulina Luna flipped her Florida congressional district. It was a historic flip. What does that mean? We're going to talk to her about those numbers. Stick with us. Never run out of coffee by joining the club with Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle Coffee Company was built upon the mission to serve coffee and culture to people who love America. As a veteran-owned company, Black Rifle Coffee Company delivers on that promise by developing explosive roast profiles with the same mission focus learned as members of the military, and they're committed to supporting veterans, law enforcement, and first responders. When you join the coffee club, you select your perfect roast, how much coffee you want, and how often you want it delivered, and it's all shipped right to your door for free. Not only do you save a trip to the store, but you also receive special discounted pricing. You gain access to exclusive products and partner brand discounts. Not sure what roast is best for you? Take the Black Rifle Coffee Quiz and get matched to the perfect coffee roast and then join the club. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Dana to save 20% off your purchase in your first coffee club order. That's 20% off with promo code Dana at BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Dana. Fuel your life with America's coffee. Black Rifle Coffee. Of all your favorite talk hosts, one of these is not like the others. The Dana Show. You know, Jose, I had a Democratic consultant say to me, I'm tired. We got to stop putting Latinos in a box and trying to like treat them as African-Americans, that, that, that there's one issue that will somehow unite, that Latino voters are, are just what Jose said, stop trying to single them out. Instead, whatever you're pitching swing voters, pitch that to Latino voters, that demographics and just like the same thing, how we carve up the white vote in those different buckets, that's how you would, the Latino voters. Isn't it kind of weird to hear them talk like that? Yeah. It's like, you mean, wait a minute, you mean, you mean actually campaign? To those groups like you do all the other groups? Wow, that's so shocking. That was John King on CNN yesterday. I'm Dana Lash, your lovable curmudgeon. Welcome back to the program. Bottom of the second hour here, post-election Wednesday. And you know what? It was this demographic. Uh, Hispanic and Latino voters are making major shifts towards the GOP. Uh, And, you know, the issues that, you know, they were, John King and these others were just talking about, the issues that those voters and those demos care about those are the same issues everybody cares about inflation and jobs and the economy and crime all of that everybody's wondering are they going to be able to afford a turkey this year and so this is one of the reasons why i mean in florida they really rewrote the playbook i really think that they are leading the nation and how the republican party needs to be handling this stuff messaging and everything else going forward because you had ron DeSantis who carried a hispanic vote this is and then you with the Miami-Dade and Palm Beach areas making Miami-Dade go red. I couldn't even believe what I was seeing last night. I had to go double check with another source because I thought I was being had. And that, that momentum in Florida also led to another historic congressional flip. That of Florida's 13th congressional district. And the Republican 
Now, Congresswoman-elect Anna Paulina Luna joins us on the phone. Anna, congrats. Oh, actually, whoa, no, wait. Congresswoman-elect. Yes. Welcome to the program. We're, we're very glad to have you. Congratulations on your huge victory. Thank you. And more importantly, I just want to say thank you to you personally, because as I was getting really um, shadow banned by all of media in the area, you were really one of the few that had me on. So you had our backs and I appreciate that. Well, I, I'm just I'm glad that you stuck your neck out there to run and it paid off because now people in your district are going to have legitimate, good representation. Talk to us a little bit about this, because you are now officially in the history books as part of this major major red wave in Florida. And that's exactly where it was, was in Florida. And, you know, really, it kind of is the playbook model for the nation. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what that what that looks like, you know, going forward and and what Republicans can take away from how you and everyone else handled, you know, a big tent Republican Party and all of these common concerns, because you guys did something so different that everybody else from everybody else. You know, I'll start by saying this. My race was, I think, um, for the most part, no one anticipated that we would be taking in the amount of income or incoming fire that we were taking from the Democrat super PAC that really was uh, started against me. So I was actually outspent $12 million to one. And on Friday before the election, Barack Obama dropped a robocall against me. So we had some serious funding coming into the seat. And what I realized early on and what I think you're saying a lot of these campaigns in Florida do is we really hit the grassroots hard. So by the time we were done, we had knocked over $50,000. That wasn't paid knockers. That was me with my team out there six hours a day in the morning and the evening knocking. And we made 89,000 phone calls. And so really what you saw is I was able to talk directly to voters when they were running attack ads against me on abortion, saying that I was a pro-life extremist. And then we had actually um, people that were just attacking me, saying that I wouldn't you know, give veteran services, even though I am a veteran. Um, we were able to directly engage with the voters and say, hey, no, that's not our platform. This is what we want to do for the community. We want to focus on American energy independence and fix the diesel crisis. And so we were able to cut through the noise. But it was it was definitely a heavy lift. And I'm just glad that we did it, because as you're seeing now across the country, I think that stories like mine, um, hopefully what I learned, I'll be able to help other incoming class and, and freshman candidates this next cycle to help secure their wins for the conservative movement. And we're talking with Anna Paulina Luna, who is the Congresswoman-elect now, Florida's 13th Congressional District, a huge flip, uh, historic victories last night in that state. A lot of people talking about the Hispanic vote. Uh, and you know, well, now the left can't say Latinx anymore because the <laughs> Latino voters actually hate that term. Uh, there, Someone made the uh, point to me, and it was actually... Uh, a friend of mine whose family was from Cuba, and they were saying that, you know, uh, Florida, uh, voters in Florida rightfully know how to fear socialism. That is a huge part of this. What, tell us a little bit about this, because there's a little bit of, a, of an insight into this that other voters in other states don't have because of that. So we have a massive demographic of um, legal Cuban and Venezuelan immigrants. And as you know, those countries have both both been heavily impacted by communism and socialism. 
And what the left will try to say to the younger generation is, oh, but it just hasn't been done correctly yet. These people that have experienced that have their personal wealth just completely destroyed, their families a lot of times murdered by some of these regimes. They know that it doesn't work. And I think it was really telling that the Biden administration refused to allow Cubans that were genuinely that had general claims of political asylum because of the fact that it's in my opinion that they knew that these people would go and they would educate the Hispanic demographic as to what was happening in Cuba. And so I think what you're seeing now is we do have a fight on our hands for the Hispanic voting bloc, right? We know now it's the largest voting minority in the country. It is really disgusting to see that the Democrats have really pushed um, the black demographic almost out of the way. You know, almost never hear about BLM anymore, and they are now solely focusing on the Hispanic voting bloc, and that's because it's a power struggle. And so I hope to continue to help um, and work with, although she did not win, um, former Representative Myra Flores, candidates like Yesley Vega, those are powerful voices, and I think that they have a bright future in conservative activism and outreach um, if, if people will allow them to share their platforms. Mm, yeah, and, and Dela Cruz and Vega uh, Flores, which she could still come back. And I, I think that, you know, mm-hmm. for another, you know, opportunity, those were huge, huge wins. Uh, talking with Ana Paulina Luna, you made a great point uh, about the, the situation with the, the uh, Cuban uh, migrants who were trying to seek asylum in the United States. They were denied, but yet people coming in at the southern border and uh, uh, Del Rio sector, uh, uh, Rio Grande sector, they were all accommodated. That's very mm-hmm. I had forgotten, but that that actually that could explain quite a lot in this um, this this model for the, uh, this playbook for the nation. I was just I just saw this morning that it had been it's official that there's a supermajority in the Florida state legislature. Uh, that's this is this is unbelievable. What is this? Is this the republicanism? Is this the type of, of campaigning? Is this the way forward for the rest of the nation? Because I, I, we're going to have to have some hard conversations. Republicans are. Um, I, I feel like they all need to go to Florida for classes. Do you think that the way that DeSantis and other Republicans in Florida ran their races, is that what the, the, the rest of the Republicans across the country should model theirs on? I think so. You know, I was on a a conference call earlier with Representative Jim Jordan, and he made a telling point. He said, what happened in Florida is you saw that people were voting for freedom. They weren't voting for politicians. They weren't voting for party. They were voting for freedom. All throughout the lockdowns, you saw many Republican legislators, everyone from state level up to federal, spoke out against some of these mandates and some of these crazy lockdowns that you were seeing across the country. Many people from California and New York and Washington state moved to Florida. Parents were moving to Florida to protect what was happening with their children against CRT and the hypersexualization. And so what you're seeing now is a lot of the places around the country that were pushing the blue, blue policies, a lot of the Republicans that were soft on that um, didn't win elections. I think that people are seeing through the propaganda, and I think people want real, honest elected officials. They are tired of being gaslit. They are tired of hearing one thing and then seeing another when people go up to vote. And I will say that because of the fact that I ran a grassroots campaign, and because of the fact that I told my constituents that I would be joining the House Freedom Caucus, I fully plan on not only doing that and fulfilling my promise to them, but that's exactly why I was elected by them to serve them in D.C. That is what they want, and that's what they're going to get. This is going to, this is, I mean, it's great to see. I wish Florida was all the rest of the country last night. Anna Paulina Luna, the Congresswoman elect in Florida's 13th Congressional District, part of that historic red wave 
in that state. We look to see great things from you. Congratulations on your win and keep up the fight. I know we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Of course. We have more to come, folks. This has been a crazy busy day here, and we're still looking at, I mean, we still got numbers coming in out of Nevada. Colorado's not looking good for Lauren Boebert. We're going to talk a little bit. That's the third congressional district out there. Uh, And you heard uh, Congresswoman-elect Luna now. That's how we got it. It's it's official. Uh, That looking at some of these... uh, Southern, the Southern uh, Texas races. You had Dilla Cruz. Uh, Myra Flores did not prevail in her race, although she gave it a good shot. And I want to, I want to point something out real quick. I know we got to get moving. Lee Zeldin ran a race like nobody I've ever seen in New York. You saw Lee Zeldin in New York. You saw, I think Flores's race. And, and remember she came in, it was a special uh, election. Uh, so that's why there was like two quick elections back to back. There are areas where normally Republicans do not seed the ground, so to speak, and establish a presence and do voter outreach, register voters. That's what Beto O'Rourke's candidacy has always been about. In some ways, Stacey Abrams is, too. I think hers is as well. Uh, Wendy Davis, some of these others. You see these candidates that run these unrealistic races and you realize that they're not going to win, but that's not the point. The point is that they are, it's chipping away at Republican strongholds bit by bit by bit. And that's the whole, po- Republicans do not do this. And in New York, we started, we started to see some payoffs because we picked up some congressional races. We flipped some seats. Lee Zeldin came closer than anybody I've seen in recent memory of taking over the governor's mansion. Uh, so this was, it was incredible. This was huge. This is, this is big stuff. And we, Republicans need to continue doing it. It is not uh, a waste of money to do it. You have to establish these presences in, in areas where even if they're you know, dominated by, by blue voters, you still you need to establish a presence and you have to be able to do what Democrats have done. And the, the great thing is that Republicans have better solutions, better answers. Uh, so I really think that they need because it's paying off. You're seeing it in some of these areas where it's happening. and It's paying off. We have Florida man on the way and then coming up. So what is next as we wait for some of these other numbers to come in? And as I've cautioned, you can't have people and we're going to have this fight. You can't have people. Uh, for the lack of a better way, forgive the Portuguese, crap on MAGA, and you can't have MAGA crap on traditional Republicans. Y'all need each other. Because as we saw last night, ain't nobody winning nothing. So how can we make this work? We're going to talk about this. The finger pointing and all of that, I'm not interested in finger pointing and apportioning blame. I'm interested in figuring out what went wrong, why it was done, so we don't do it again. This week on the Federalist Radio Hour, when the dust settled back in 2020, it became clear that Hispanics were shifting towards the Republican Party in ways that were not marginal and in ways that were wildly underappreciated by the legacy news media and that were really going to change American politics. I'm Emily Jashinsky of The Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's his life mission to make bad decisions. It's time for Florida Man. You know, I feel like we can't even say nothing about Florida Man today because Florida basically owned everybody. I got to say, I mean, you know, it's all true. So let's start with, oh, I want this one. Uh, A Florida man is facing an attempted murder charge over an incident that 
police say started as a friendly slap box fight. Eric Rodriguez is charged with attempted murder after he allegedly severely injured another man following a slap box fight outside of a Pembroke Pine sports bar. They say they say Rodriguez and the victim engaged in a slap box fight at approximately 2.45 a.m. Uh, at Ricky's Sports Bar and Grill. And uh, they it began, and at some point, the victim was knocked the heck to the ground. Rodriguez, who the victim only knew as E, then began kicking him in the head. That is not slap box fighting. So now he's got a, a, an attempted murder charge because of the severity of the victims. So that's you're not supposed to get hurt, I mean, that bad. And slap box fighting, there's a whole... A Largo woman hit a man with a plank because she wasn't getting enough attention, says say police. It's an actual thing. It's in the affidavit. Largo woman was arrested after allegedly hitting a man with a plank. The arrest document from the Largo Police Department says the incident happened on Sunday. They said that Demi Lynn Vergara was upset because she was not getting enough attention from her friends. So in retaliation, she is said to have swung a two-by-four with an exposed nail at an unidentified man's head. Of course, he got an abrasion. And the attack was witnessed by another officer. And as she was read her rights, she admitted to swinging it, but denied hitting the man. And she has multiple battery convictions from previous arrests. She was already on probation for battery at the time of her arrest. So, yeah, she is a repeat offender. So a uh, Pinellas County man decides that he's going to, he, he ends up mistakenly getting, oh, he got a bunch of money from an IRS tax fraud scheme and decided to live very quietly by purchasing a gigantic waterfront mansion. <laughs> and of course he got caught. 39-year-old St. Petersburg man, he was arrested. He made fraudulent requests for tax funds, according to the IRS, and used the money to purchase a big old mansion, six Mercedes Benzes. And uh, they said that, yeah, in total, his claims exceeded $170 million. I don't even know how one does this. How does one even do this? There was at one point, it was November 23rd of 2019, the IRS issued this guy a check for over $6 million. Six point three. Matthew Meredith is his name. How in the hell is this happening? Like, I can just write my IRS and be like, where's my $6 million, please? Is that how that works? Oh, man. Who is, like, who are, is this guy's going to go into jail, but the IRS agents say nothing going to happen to them? The ones that allowed this to happen? Really? Really? Oh, man. Okay, so I got, ooh, a Florida man who got tired of living in the United States, stole his boss's boat and tried to go back to Cuba. And, of course, he promptly was arrested on the way. Uh, 30-year-old Miami man, he stole a commercial fishing boat, uh, Monroe County Sheriff's Office reporting, Christian Perez. He had quit, said he was he's done living in the U.S., he's going to go back to Cuba, he's done working, he didn't want to work. And so he uh, took the boat and decided to try to go back to Cuba. U.S. Coast Guard contacted the victim, said his vehicles, his v- vessel's emergency beacon had been activated 50 miles southwest of Key West. So the boat had been broken down. It was stranded, and Perez was waving his arms for help. So he's now facing felony charges, burglary, and he's going to be arraigned on November 18th. Ugh, golly, dumb choices. Third hour on the way. Congressman Jim Jordan is going to join us also in our third hour. You don't want to miss. Stick with us. Big winner tonight is DeSantis. He is just as much a counterpuncher as Donald Trump. He goes after Disney. He goes. He's, he sends people on planes to Martha's Vineyard. He does all that. But you know what else he does? He's got a reform agenda. And when he managed that crisis with that hurricane, people looked at that and said, "This is the this is this." Is, he's, yeah, he's a counterpuncher, but he's also a leader who can who can who can lead in a time of crisis. All right, so- mm, that's Martisan, and that's a very interesting point that he's making there. In fact, I just noticed. 
not missing a beat. DeSantis is already back to work saying he declared a state of emergency for 34 counties to ensure Floridians have time to get ready about the impending storm, saying that they got 16,000 linemen staged, 600 guardsmen activated, seven urban search and rescue teams on standby to deploy. So he's already back to work. He's not even. But that's what it is. That's what it takes. Welcome back to the program. Third hour of the show. Dana Lash here with you. And as we're going over, we're still, I, I just think it's asinine, I'm right with you, that we don't even know what the results are. We don't know who's going to be controlling House or Senate yet. Everything's, it's, I, I am right there with you. Now, and we got Congressman Jim Jordan who's going to be coming up a little bit later on. We're going to talk a little bit about the House. Because I don't, I, I don't know if it's fair to say that Kevin McCarthy was handed a clear mandate. It, true. A lot of people, and I see some of these comments where it, there's two things to get into here. The split ticket stuff. Some people were wondering how you could have people voting for Brian Kemp the way they did and Marjorie Taylor Greene and all this. But yet, uh, because apparently there are a couple hundred thousand people who didn't vote for Herschel Walker. Now, as I told you before, there was a really good piece that came out and Dasha Burns did it. And she was the one who had, had questioned uh, John Fetterman. That was... That's originally how she got to be more widely known. But she was looking at split ticket voters. And this is something that I think other people, including Selena Zito and some others, have looked at. The voters out there that are going to be making some of that are going to be moving the needle on a lot of these in a lot of these races and elections to come. They're not political. They're ideological. Now, what I mean by that is they are not they're not going to sit here and vote just for uh, a party's margins. That's why you're seeing some of this. And I think that Republicans have been able to create a big tent and they need to make they need to find a way to better message that to voters. I think one of the most powerful pitches that I heard to that effect was from Lee Zeldin in New York. And granted, he didn't win his election, but he put up a fight like nobody I've ever seen. And he was saying because and you have to remember he's in New York. So he was saying to the voters, "You know what? Maybe you don't vote Democrat this time." That doesn't mean you're not a Democrat because a lot of people are wedded to their party. A lot of the, you know, the hardcore people on the right and left are wedded to that party affiliation. It's one of the reasons why I thought it was very interesting that Trey Gowdy had said, "You know, we're at this point where it's, you know, uh, you know, uh blue and red till the end, you know, and 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 there's there's the tribalism that he was discussing. There's something to that. And these people don't subscribe to that. And Lee Zeldin made the best argument by saying you're not this or this just because you vote this way. You don't have to be a Republican because you vote this way. You don't have to be you. You you, are you better off? And if you're not, then why not just try something different? It was a very very calculated pitch that was incredibly smart. You can't just bust up everywhere and handle every single demo in every state the same because every state is different. And I think that there's some very interesting things to look at with this. Georgia, for instance, is one of them. Now, I, I've got all of my friends are already arguing it's annoying and I've literally muted my phone. I am, I have put it on do not disturb and it's going to be on do not disturb for some weeks to come. 
the reason being is the way that everything ended up and the way that it's still, I mean, we still could, we still could have the Senate. I'm looking at, if we take the Senate, it'll be by one. It, I mean, we may end up, I, I just don't know if we're, I said at best we'd end up at 52. Other people were saying that we'd have 53. There's no, I don't do not see that happening. You, in order now, <clears throat> excuse me, the runoff in Georgia, December, I think it's December 6th is when it's slated. Uh, that, I think that's going to depend on how well Laxalt does. So it really does come down. Poor Adam Laxalt. It comes down to him. If anybody can do it, he can do it. But it comes down to him. We'll see what happens in Arizona. But Arizona was not a state that I had in my map that I had uh, included as being red. So I think one of the things that we, that, you know, we're kind of all looking at and looking at how well Everything worked in Florida. And again, not every state runs the same, but we do know, and this is coming out too, Biden's, oh yeah, he is going to run. He's going to run in 2024. The blue wall held. We cannot have the right rip itself to shreds. Like, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, you're, you're, I don't know what Trump is going to announce. Didn't he say he's going to announce something at some point at Mar-a-Lago? On the 15th. On the 15th. I don't know what he's going to announce. Um, I do not... I hope that he doesn't take media bait. And I think everybody, we need to wait till the postmortem on this is done because Republicans, I haven't seen something this fumbled since 2012 with Mitt Romney, to be honest. There's no reason why Republicans should underperform at all. It is difficult, though, when you do have your party leader, your, the former president, you can't, and I get it that he wants to, you know, hit back and he wants to also protect his political territory. And this is where he's more ideological and not political because he's not political in that he is not looking at the strategy of having the party unity. He's a little he's more ideological. So that's where there is there's some friction there. But I mean, I'm hearing a lot of the same. I'm really interested in what you you know, your all's thoughts. I may actually open up phone lines on Friday again because I'm kind of interested in what people think about all this. Um, I think we've had, again, the bigger, bigger things are we've had split ticket voting. Uh, I also think that in certain areas, the favor, I think Trump's favorability does come into play. I was looking at the averages. I, and again, I told you all this. You guys have known me for quite some time. We'll have, I'll tell you, I don't always tell you what you want to hear, but it will be honest. And in, in some cases like this, it will be what I think you might need to hear if you want to have a fully informed perspective going forward. There was a great piece, and I wanted to read this. It's uh, from uh, Bonchi over at Red State. I think this is a brilliant piece. He's trying to figure out the next step. It's called I'm Sick of Losing, and I Hope You Are Too. It's what his piece is called. And I wanted to read this, part of it. Because I think this is the best written piece of everything that's happened. He says this. Now, he's not advocating for DeSantis over Trump, by the way. And he also notices that uh, notice you're not you're not uh, undoing or denying what Trump accomplished in his four years by acknowledging that some of the stuff that he did, like with the Senate and all that, and going after Bullock and that is not the best thing to do. So this is what he writes. <clears throat> and this is from Red State. He says that what happened on Tuesday can't be left to lie. There cannot be, there has to be a reckoning. 
and it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to challenge some deeply held priors. Republicans can't do the same thing over and over, hoping the next time will be different, and no one should escape accountability. He talks about that, you know, questioning McCarthy, whether or not McCarthy deserves Speaker of the House. He says there should, in the Senate, he said Mitch McConnell, he said, even though he should be lauded for raising and spending a ton of money to help elect Republicans, he's 80 years old and he's unpopular with a lot of Americans. For Republicans to escape their current malaise, new leadership is needed. The recrimination, he says, and this is from Bonji over at Red State, he says the uh, recriminations don't stop with elected officials, though. Donald Trump, he says, is the de facto leader of the Republican Party. He says he is the face, he does the rallies, he makes himself the center of attention, and he is the kingmaker. And he has now failed in that role for three straight elections. And this is what Bonji at Red State says. And he, by the way, is a huge Trump fan. He says, frustratingly, he does not take responsibility for some of these failures. He's not letting anybody off the hook here, I want to add. He says, after Don Bolduc lost in New Hampshire, Trump trashed him, despite the fact that he was endorsed by the president, former president. He also bashed Mehmet Oz after that race was called. And in the midst of Republican struggles becoming clear on election night, Trump took to Truth Social to celebrate the loss of Joe O'Day in Colorado's Senate race. And then he bragged uh, about the disappointing night as a great victory. And he says... That and there's also this this his biggest thing, and this is what Spencer Brown had noted at town hall. Uh, his biggest win was J.D. Vance's victory in Ohio, but J.D. Vance underperformed by a lot. I'm glad that he took that he got that seat, but he underperformed, and it does call into question the ability and and you want a huge victory when you cross that finish line, and how much how big can that victory be next time and the next time. Uh, Bonji over at Red State adds, meanwhile, in Florida, DeSantis turned a state he won by 30,000 votes four years ago into a 20 point blowout. It was the most shocking shift in a single state in decades, with Republicans actually winning Hispanic voters outright. In a sea of terrible, what happened in Florida showed a better way, and it showed what issues voters cared about. It showed that being likable and effective as a leader matters. He adds, I don't know if DeSantis runs in 24, but Republicans would be foolish to pass him over for a nearly 80-year-old man with extremely high unfavorability. He says, I realize that saying this is definitely going to ruffle some feathers, and I assure you that's not my goal. None of what I'm saying means that 2016 wasn't special, and it doesn't mean that the big rallies weren't fun when 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 they actually meant something and they weren't just irrelevant spectacles. He says it doesn't mean that Trump didn't accomplish a lot in the White House. But what it does mean is that times change and appeals diminish, and not adapting going forward would only guarantee another gut wrenching loss in the next election. Republicans need a course correction, just as they needed one after the George W. Bush era, which ended with Romney. It's not about establishment versus Trump. And as I've said, because I've told you this, because then either of them can win. Bonchi adds, it's going to take a combination of inspirational fight and extreme competence that hasn't been shown by the party's national leadership from McConnell to Trump to turn the ship around. He adds, while I may personally think that's DeSantis, I'm not going to browbeat anybody in that position. I encourage people to support whoever they feel convicted to support. And if we end up agreeing on 99% of everything else but disagreeing on that one issue, there should be no hard feelings. He writes, all I ask is that people step back, look at the whole picture, and think critically about how we got to where we are. Changes have got to be made because I'm tired of losing. And I hope you are too. It's one of the most spot on pieces that you're going to read. And he's right. So where will those answers come from? Will, will Tom Emmer, is he going to talk about where's the GOP majority 
This should been this should have been a cycle of seat flipping. Where's that at? Will Rick Scott explain? He's in RSC. Why didn't the Senate go the way that it did? Why was it so tight? Why couldn't you have expanded it some more? Those distances. And Kevin McCarthy's press conference yesterday seemed a little bit weird on tone. Everybody is owed questions or answers to their questions. And nobody's off the hook, not Trump either. From Trump to McConnell to McCarthy to Emmer to Rick Scott, a lot of people, a lot of moves. But one of the biggest ones, one of the biggest ones is, and you can't deny the math, candidate quality does matter. We have more to come, a lot more. Told you, I'm not going to always tell you what you want to hear, but it will be told honestly. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. So the Berlin Wall fell on this day back in 1989. How many days did it stand? It was like a thousand something days that it had stood. Uh, and this is a, that's kind of crazy to think about that. That it's just that. Golly, it seems like that 1989 is kind of far away. But uh, yeah, Berlin Wall seems very apropos when you consider everything that's been going on. Uh, Also, this uh, in Pennsylvania, dead man was reelected. Democrat Tony DeLuca, the longest running Pennsylvania state representative. He uh, passed away last month at age 85, according to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And because of his recent death... Uh, it was uh, his death was so recent that election authorities were not able to change the ballots in time, and like a whole bunch of people chose him over the Green Party challenger. It was a sizable lead, so now they got to have another special election. Um, wow! Apparently, people were oblivious, but now they want to have a special. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't have. I don't have any words. I don't know. Uh, let's see. The da, 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 got a couple of oh, this guy. A man returns to his car and finds that a sofa fell from the sky and crushed it. Actually happened. It was uh, his Toyota Yaris was left badly damaged. It was he was only gone for like 15 minutes apparently. And police it's in Australia. Police are investigating. They think it may have been hurled from a nearby balcony during a party. It just crashed on his car. So he said he thankfully wasn't in the car cuz that would not have been well for him. They're investigating that, but that's kind of man, really. 55 students may have to retake their SATs after they were lost from a UPS truck. I would lose my mind if I were one of these kids. There's the El Paso Independent School District. They said they're currently working with the college board, which administers them to determine a remedy. uh, Because now they may have to take these tests again. The test flew out of the truck transporting them. So they were either lost or destroyed. Yeah. We have Congressman Jim Jordan joining us next. Stay with us. Want a behind-the-scenes look at The Dana Show? Subscribe to Dana's Chapter and Verse newsletter for a deeper dive in all things Dana at danalash.com. Now let me tell you, you're out late. But when you wake up tomorrow, we will be in the majority and Nancy Pelosi will be in the minority. The American people are ready for a majority that will offer a new direction, that will put America back on track. Hmm. So last night, tough night. And that was Kevin McCarthy, 
who that was what 2 a.m i stayed up and went to bed after he spoke that was kevin mccarthy uh, who was speaking last night after some of these numbers still we still don't know we still don't know actually what's going on i was taking a, welcome back to the program dana lash here just real fast i was looking at just the latest uh the the latest breakdown 176 to 204 we got to have 218 and we're not there yet in the house and we still i mean there's some there's some still pending races to be determined and uh not all of them were as easily won as Jim Jordan's was, Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio. Watched, uh, watched a rally with him just the other night. He took his uh, handily. Not everyone can say the same. He joins us now on the phone. Congressman, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, congrats on your victory. Yeah, thank you. Uh, good to be with you. And I do think we're going to get to the majority, and looks like it's going to go to a runoff in Georgia to determine who's going to have the majority in the Senate. But um, I learned a long time ago, winning beats losing. And if we win, and we win the House and the Senate, that is that is overall victory. Um, I, I, but I'm, I'm like you. I think all Americans are frustrated. You know, back when we, before we had all the high-tech world, uh, we, we seemed to get results by, you know, 12, well, 1 in the morning on, on election night. And now that we've got all this technology, it takes, it takes forever. It takes days and weeks sometimes. So I, I, I've yet to figure that one out. But um, I think we've got to look at the positive here, particularly in Florida data. Florida was uh, was a victory for freedom, for for standing up for people's liberty. We had a, some great candidates down there who were part of the Freedom Caucus, like Anna Paulina Luna. She won strong, and yeah, she had millions spent, millions spent against her. So I think there are some real bright spots as well. Uh, but the brightest spot is it looks like we're going to take the House and have a great chance of winning the Senate also. And it's going to be by a lot of a lot tighter margin, though, than we had anticipated. Yeah. And and I know a lot of people talked about the polling. I actually don't really honestly think the polling was all that wrong, especially when I looked at some of these tighter races. But mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of voters and we're talking with Congressman Jim Jordan. I think a lot of voters were expecting McCarthy to have been handed a mandate last night. And he wasn't. So, I mean, at least in my estimation, what so what do Republicans, what do they have in the House? I mean, again, I realize stuff is still coming in. Well, it's not going to be by the sizable margin that we had planned on, though. Right. I think that that's that's probably accurate. I do think, though, if you look at it, Democrats ran away from Joe Biden. A bunch of Democrats ran as 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 Republicans. I mean, here in Ohio, for example, uh, uh, Tim Ryan tried to convince the the whole state that he was a Trump Republican. He spent millions of dollars all summer long, and now the, the people got the got the got the facts and the truth in the end, and that's why they supported uh, J.D. Vance. But um, I also think sometimes we may have lost some races just because you know maybe maybe our candidates didn't work as hard as they needed to. Who knows? Um, I think voters overall, though, want to be sure that the person that they're going to vote for is got their best interest at heart, is going to go to Washington and going to fight for them and do what they said. And in cases where we had folks like that, they won and they won strong. But I, I think of my good friend Scott Perry in a tough race in Pennsylvania. Now, think of what Scott's been through. He's been called everything. It's a, it's a swing district. Uh, they, they, the FBI has taken his phone, unconstitutionally taken his phone. He's been called all kinds of names, millions of dollars spent against him. But he worked his tail off. People know he will do what he said, and he wound up winning by 10 points in a tough seat. Those are the kind of candidates who, who came through last night in a strong way. But, uh, again, I keep coming back to the good news is, the good news is I think we're going to win the House, and um, I think we're going to win the Senate, too. Take us a little, yeah. We'll have to go into overtime to get that one. 
Yeah, the Senate one, that's going to be interesting. I feel like so much of it hinges on Adam Laxalt in Nevada, and then that's going to determine, I think, how hard people play ball in Georgia. Uh, I don't know if yep. we get to 53, maybe 52. We're talking with Congressman Jim Jordan. Uh, one of the big one of the big takeaways that I in, in looking at this, and, I, and, you know, granted, you know, there are smaller margins in the House, but I think that there were a lot of inroads made, particularly for Hispanic voters, uh, whether mm-hmm. you look at some of the victories in South Texas. I know Myra Flores didn't win her race, but the fact that she was as competitive as she was, is huge. Yep. Uh, the yep. fact that I, I mean, you just mentioned Ana Paulina Luna, who was on with us. Uh, you had uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida who walked away with the. I mean, he carried the Hispanic vote. Um, that that is a huge shift, and I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that because I mean, obviously. The Republican Party is the big tent party, but with that comes the split ticket problem. How are I mean, we got to change the strategy up and how are we going to be able to handle all of this? Because we want to have a lot. I mean, we love having you want as many people as possible, but we get more people who are ideological and not political. They're not looking at party strategy. They're just looking at ideology. And I totally get that. But that is hard Mm -hmm. to campaign to. How do you address it? I think that the fundamental way you address it is you, you let voters know you're fighting for them. Like voters, we're going to, the Hispanic voters know that the left has went completely crazy. They control the Democrat party. Uh, what was it? A survey two months ago said 55% of Democrats don't think America is the greatest nation in history. How can, how can that be? So Hispanics sure think it is. They came here because they wanted to chase their goals and go after their dreams and have their family prosper. So they see that. So I think you, the way you communicate is we're fighting for you. We're going to fight for the things you care about so that your family has an opportunity, so that your kid has the best education. I said this months ago. I said, don't vote for any candidate who's not for school choice. I don't care if they're Republican mm-hmm. or Democrat. Don't vote for them. Because if they're not, if, if, if a candidate doesn't believe that moms and dads know what's best for their kids' education, for goodness, and they think some bureaucrat in D.C. or in their state capital does, give me a, at least a parent knows their name, for goodness sake. So, you know, those, those kind of fundamental things are how we attract voters and, and I think be more unified fighting for the things they care about. Right. And looking at uh, talking with Congressman Jim Jordan, a lot of people are thinking that uh, the way that everything unfolded last night means that Kevin McCarthy isn't secure and going for House leader. Are you rethinking your because I know you you weren't really, I think, uh, set on challenging that. Is that something that you're now reconsidering, considering the performances last night? No, no. I think, you know, look, I I fell along Um, the 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 guy who gets you to the Super Bowl, even if you have to go into overtime in the championship game to get there should get to coach the game. And, and, I, and I think that, I think that holds. Um, I think Kevin did, a, did a, a, a good job over the last several years of holding our team together, dealing with the Democrats. I always point to the impeachment a few years ago in 2019, when the Democrats did their crazy impeachment of president Trump, the conventional wisdom Dana was every Democrat was going to vote to impeach the president in the house and a bunch of Republicans were going to join him. But, what happened in the end was just the opposite. After we worked hard, got the truth to the American people, dug in there, every Republican voted not to, and a bunch of Democrats joined us, and one even switched parties. So, um, yeah, I think he's held, held our team together. Um, and, you know, like I said, the, the coach who gets you there gets to coach the game. Yeah, this is, a, we're talking with Congressman Jim Jordan. This is a really weird, it's a weird election. And it's a, mm-hmm. some of the stuff that I'm seeing coming in, especially in Colorado. Like I'm looking at Colorado's third congressional yeah. district, Lauren Boebert. I, I don't know if she's going to pull that off. I mean, she's been I trailing and it's, it, yeah. And it's, uh, and uh, people, there are people who are voting against her. I was going through the weeds on it a little bit. What, what is, what are you attribute this to? What are your thoughts on all of this? Because I, she's not the only seat. Now, I don't know. Now, there's, there's, some, there's some seats like um, 
like Yvette Harrell, who's a, a great member. She's got such a gerrymandered seat. The Democrats went after her. It's a really mm-hmm. tough seat, and she worked her tail off, and she's just down by less than a point. I don't know if she's going to pull it out. I hope she does. So sometimes it's just – and she worked hard. She's a great member. So sometimes it's just the nature of the, the, the district. I don't know in, in Lauren's situation how, how much that district changed. I've been out there and campaigned for her. I thought things were good like a year ago when I was out there doing an event with, uh, with uh, her team. So I don't know. I, let's, hope that, let's hope she pulls it out. Let's hope that pulls it out. I do think we're going to win a number of those seats in Arizona that, you know, where our candidate was behind. I think Schweikert's going to come back and some others are going to come. I think Eli Crane's already won. He was a great candidate. Um, and, and going to be a great member. So we just got to have to wait and see. Yeah, and the big elephant in the room, the direction and leadership of the party. I know that you know it's kind of hard to do the postmortem when the uh, body on the table is still twitching, for the lack of a better way to put it, um, and we're still waiting for stuff to come in. But a lot of people are pointing to what DeSantis has done in Florida. I know that there's some tension there between Trump and DeSantis. Uh, maybe it's something that you don't want to immediately get involved in, but we're going to have to have that conversation sooner rather than later. And it looks like it's going to come sooner. I wanted to get your thoughts on this because, you know, I really I, I think that a lot of people have, I, you know, have some accountability with what happened yesterday. And there are some clear and distinct measures. But what does this say to you about Trump's involvement in the party? Does this I mean, I know that you're a big supporter of the former mm-hmm. president. I know he was out there with yeah. you in Ohio with a rally uh, as yep. well uh, with J.D. Vance and that. That was a, a win for him. Tell, tell me your thoughts on this, because my fear is the right is going to destroy itself before 2024. And then we're going to be locked into complete and utter breakdown in America. Well, let's hope, let's hope that didn't happen. Uh, but but President Trump was, as you said, here in Ohio on Monday night, did just a tremendous job. Amazing speech. Uh, he's the leader of our party. I think that's 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 obvious. Uh, he's done it. Uh, I don't know that we've ever had a president in, in, in history who did more of what he said he would do. And he got it done, so much done, with everyone in that town against him. Every, you know, every Democrat was against him. Everyone in the press was against him. Half the Republicans, all the bureaucracy. So he's the leader of the party. Um, but Ron DeSantis, obviously, has done an outstanding job in Florida. And what happened there last night was, was, was uh, just amazing. And I always point out that um, uh, there were nine of us who formed the Freedom Caucus seven years ago. And one of those original nine was was Governor DeSantis. So we we appreciate his work as a governor. But uh, President Trump is the leader of the party. Um, I think that uh, that in his speech on Monday night, I think showed just what a leader he is. Is everybody uh, all ready to to pitch in and uh, to, if some of these come to runoffs or what? What is that? It looks like you're not going to have yeah. any rest going into the holiday season, Congressman. Well, it was the same two years ago. I remember. You know, the day after the election, you're, you're like, what's going on? And then, you know, the, the next month we were – I spent three days in Georgia trying to help then the, the Senate candidates. It looks like we're going to be in, in, in kind of for the, for the same deal. Let's just hope the outcome in Georgia is different, and I think it will be. I think in a straight-up race, I think Herschel can win when the country knows that what's at stake is a Senate who can help the House stop Joe Biden and the crazy things that the left is now doing. And that's what you all need is you need that partner in the house and to to be able to uh, get that stuff through. Boy, oh boy, boy, this is going to be tough. Congressman Jim Jordan, congratulations on your victory. We are glad that you are continuing to fight for voters, for Americans in Washington, D.C. Of course. Thank you so much. Good to talk with you. We have more to come, folks, as we wrap up this third hour of our broadcast. And yeah, it's going to come down. It's going to be y'all thought you're going to get a break over Thanksgiving and Christmas, didn't you? Well, Christmas, you will. Look, you'd rather have too much liberty to attend to than too little of it. From Jefferson, you'd rather have that. 
So as we get moving, folks, because not all is lost, we've got some good stuff as well for you. Listen to The Dana Show live on the Odyssey app. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. This is not normal stuff. We don't have to have elections run this way. We switched from a Republican area to vote. We came right down into the heart of liberal Phoenix to vote because we wanted to make sure that we had good machines. And guess what? They've had zero problems with their machines today. Not one machine spit out a ballot here today. Not one in a very liberal area. So we were right to come and vote in a liberal area. They gotta fix this problem. This is incompetency. I hope it's not malice, but we're gonna fix it. We're gonna win. And when we win, there's gonna be come to Jesus for elections in Arizona. There's gonna be a come to Jesus. And, you know, honestly, and that's Carrie Lake speaking, that this, they really do need to get that, that the election situation and how that's run and all of that stuff figured out because that was ridiculous. I, I mean, it, there's no reason, and there's no reason why we shouldn't even know today. It is interesting with all the technology we have that we still, something else. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you. Now, the good news is this. If you want to have some good news in all of this, the good news is that it looks, you know, Republicans will take the House by what margin remains to be seen. Uh, It looks as though there's a good chance still that we could have the Senate. All is not lost. There's a very good chance. Now, that runoff in Georgia, you're going to need to be prepared for. And that's going to come sooner rather than later. And we'll talk about that later on. But these are there's some good things. It's almost like it was you can look at it as like this. It's kind of a warning. I think that the message about policy and solutions needs to be distilled further. We have the winning solutions. We have the winning policies. It is easy to sell freedom. It is easy to sell cheaper gas at the pump. It is easy to sell lower grocery bills. It is easy to sell lower interest rates. It is easy to sell keeping more of your hard-earned money. It's easy to sell telling the government to spend less of your money so that you can have more for you and your family. It is easy to sell making sure that you prioritize kids in schools and that their academics don't suffer due to scientifically uh, not backed unnecessary lockdowns. It is easy to sell accountability it is easy to sell these things this is not difficult it comes down to messaging elevator pitches we can do this we've done it before guys we did it in 2010 the great shellacking we did that but you know the difference is that's when the grassroots got tired of taking direction from people in office and we did it ourselves Seems like that time has come again. Kane, today in stupidity. All right. I'm going to go to Sonny Hostin of uh, The View. Does she admit to actually voting for her son absentee? Ooh. Because I think that's actually a violation of law. Kind of illegal? Yeah. I wanted to make sure that his absentee ballot was, was uh, that I did that. And I had trouble actually voting for him absentee ballot today. And that what? made me very concerned. It's the first time uh, I was told to put it in an orange bag on the floor and the orange bag Mm. looked to me like a target bag or something. 
And I said, isn't there a formal election? Yeah, I don't know what their laws look like, but uh, can you drop good. somebody's stuff? I don't know about that. Oh, we might need an investigation. Folks, make sure you sign up for the newsletter chapter and verse over at Substack. We'll have all the latest as it comes in out to you. And I'll be back behind the mic with you tomorrow. Take heart. There's still some good things. God bless.